Hello, hello, people. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, your host, the not-so-tuckered out Ami Tucker this week. I know, shocking. Today, I get to talk to a super cool chick who happens to be a doctor. Dr. Saya Nagori is a digital health executive who is super passionate about telehealth and innovation in healthcare. She is widely known in the health tech space for her early work in telemedicine and increasing access to healthcare through innovative patient solutions. Now, if you didn't get or didn't understand what I just said, neither did I, but listen to the interview and you'll catch on. Dr. Saya Nagori is also the co-founder of Simple Health and the founder of FemHealthProject.com. So, you know, she's slightly busy. Um, FemHealthProject is a super cool concept. They educate and empower individuals through evidence-based information directly from doctors. I hope you enjoy my interview with Dr. Saya Nagori. I consider myself a trailblazer in women's health and digital health and access to healthcare. I was like, I hope she knows that I am not an OBGYN. Um, no, I know. I, I knew you weren't. Love it that you're you're a trailblazer for the general umbrella of women's health is even better. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say access to healthcare, right? Like I am big in the telemedicine space and digital health space. Um, so that's really my passion is just access to healthcare. I started a telemedicine company five years ago, which is when, or six years ago, when like it wasn't even like really right. a thing. Um, so that is really what, where a lot of my work lies is just how do we democratize healthcare more? Um, well, there's a lot to it, right? I'm also a doctor. And Saya, where did you grow up? Was it a typical Indian household, strict conservative parents? So interestingly, my parents compared to the rest of South Asian parents at the time were not really strict, I guess, you know, compared to what I was seeing. Uh, But yes, compared to normal parents uh, in the United States, of course, they were strict. I wasn't really allowed to date. I wasn't really allowed to do anything. I was, you know, pretty much on the path to becoming a doctor really young. Um, And I, it's funny, because I actually realized I have a lot more I have a lot of different talents uh, that go way beyond medicine, but I guess those weren't really cultivated or pursued at that time. And I think that's probably the one thing I would say in terms of strict, they weren't strict like, you know, you can't go out or you can't do this or you can't do that. But it was just very focused on, you know, this should be your career path and this is how you should like lead your life in terms of education and career choices. And of course, don't date until you're ready to get married. Right, right. Well, my parents never, my mom never let me whack. So I had no chance of dating. So it worked out. <laughs> so in terms That's of, smart. yeah, I know. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have two girls. Let me think about this. <laughs> so in terms of your career career path, were you always just going down the doctor lane? Yeah, totally. So when I was in high school, I applied to one of those direct medical programs. I got in. So in college, I actually did a lot of other classes. I took a lot of theater classes. I took dance classes. I was really into, you know, dance and movement and expression, Um, did a few acting classes as well. So that was really fun. Uh, I didn't have to do a ton of science because I was in that direct path. 
And so I actually went to medical school after three years of college. And so that was all sort of predetermined for me. Um, the nice thing was I got to explore other things in college. The bad part about it was I didn't ever consider in college that I would do anything else but become a doctor. Um, and once you're on that path, like once you start medical school, you're on that path, right? Like you're gonna be on it for the four years of med school, the four to five years of residency, and then you're gonna work after that as a doctor because you've put so much time and effort and commitment into it. And listen, this is not to me saying that I don't love what I do. I love being a physician. I'm so happy that I did the journey, uh, but there are so many ways to be influential and create change in healthcare that goes way beyond the one-to-one -one relationship that doctors have with patients. And unfortunately, you end up with so many loans after med school for most people, right? Like if you're if you're fortunate enough to have someone else pay for you to go to school, that's fantastic. Um, you know, I got a scholarship to college. I took loans out for medical school, and I'm still paying them back. I still am in you know a significant amount of debt. So, uh, you know. Well, the loans are at a good rate, so it's not in my best interest to pay them off right away. You know, not to get too much into it, but but I'm still in. You know, I'm still paying off those loans. And the thing about healthcare is, there's so much that needs to be changed, and I want to change that on more of a high level, and not necessarily just doing the one-on-one -on -one patient stuff. I love the one-on-one -on -one patient stuff. I still see patients. Um, I'm still clinical two days a week. Um, but the rest of my time is really spent on how can we change this from a, you know, more, I don't want to say global perspective, because I'm really just doing most of my work in the United States, but just more of like a holistic perspective. Right. So when did you decide to make that, I guess, pivot or change from one-on-one -on -one to a more holistic approach, a bigger picture approach? Yeah. So great question. It was hard. Because in 2014, I had graduated fellowship. I was working in New York City. I was working in private practice. I ended up going to NYU to be a teacher there. I started working at NYU. And it was always an issue of balance, right? So I had to have my day job because I had to pay off my loans. And I had to you know, pay rent. And New York is a very expensive city. But at the same time, um, in my free time, I'm going to meetups. I'm sort of meeting up with people. And meeting up with people that aren't doctors, right? Now there's a ton of physicians in the innovation space. There's chief innovation officers at hospitals, right? But six years ago, no one was really thinking about it in that intense of a way. So I was actually going and meeting people who weren't doctors who were in the healthcare space. And at that time, a lot of companies that were building healthcare products we're not building them with doctors as their leaders, uh, oftentimes, like oftentimes they were just using doctors as advisors, but there weren't that many people that were using physicians as their core of guidance in terms of how do we innovate? How do we make the healthcare system better? How do we make it more accessible? How do we make it more accessible and affordable? Like, and actually using the physician as the main resource um, or the clinician as the main resource to guiding those solutions because we are the front lines, right? Like we see the problem firsthand and why why aren't we using more doctors and clinicians, right? To, to guide those decisions. So that's when I just started getting my feet wet. Um, so I was working full time and then in my nights, evenings, weekends, uh, post-call days, just going out and meeting people, talking to people, talking about my ideas. I started a few things on my own, which 
plummeted miserably. Um, but you know, I was I was getting excited, and I was like, okay, there's stuff that I can do here. There's there's room for improvement. There's ways to make healthcare better and more efficient. Um, right. Well, I think. So- look, first of all, I think you have to start on a few things and plummet in order to get really started. Right. Like it's never going. Not never, but usually doesn't go right the first, second, third time around. Yeah. Or 10th. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started this podcast three times, basically, relaunched. So, it, it, yeah. So I get it. I mean, do you think they don't, they haven't used doctors previously because there's this, this idea that doctors aren't business people? Yes, of course. They're just, they're just all scientific there. There's that concept. I also think that involving a doctor means really holding yourself accountable. Okay. And not to say that there's people that just want to do whatever they want, but I can't tell you how many times I have been an advisor to a company or even been, you know, very connected with the leadership. And I've said, listen, I understand that, you know, this is not the best business model, but this is the safest way to do this. Right. And so there's a lot of headbutting that happens there because Sometimes what's best and safest for the patient is not always what's best for the bottom line, right? And there has to be a balance. And I appreciate that, right? I get it that when you are building something that you want to use to change healthcare or change the way things work, it can't be plummeting in terms of profit because it's not going to be sustainable. So I, I totally understand that and I respect that. Uh, but at the same time, like it, it's got to be safe, right? It has to be trustworthy, it has to be safe. Um, And so I think that there are more hurdles when you start involving clinicians. And so I think it's important that you have clinicians that are able to bridge the gap between what can be sustainable and actually build a model that's going to last um, versus something that is just, you know, going to implode after a couple of years. And, And that actually focuses on health, which is the reason why you're doing it in the first place. Right. So I do, I do, you know, I, I have seen personally a lot of my friends in Texas and Houston, especially work, work in the medical field. And a lot of them have done what you're doing, you know, and, and are kind of branching out in different ways that way. So I want to definitely talk about your egg freezing uh, journey. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about Simple Health, which you founded in 2015, and also Fem Health. Simple Health I love the tagline, the motto that says meet the health healthcare company with a human side, because the human side of things is not what we think about, right? right. When we think of healthcare. So can you talk about Simple Health first and then um, Thumb Health? Sure. So Simple Health actually started as simplecontacts.com. So I'm an eye doctor. Um, I now have transitioned. I still do ophthalmology two days a week. I have my own practice in the DC area. Uh, I have now largely transitioned most of my career into digital health, healthcare access, health technology, and using digital platforms to bring more access to healthcare to people, hopefully, you know, in this country for sure, and even globally one day. So that is really where my career trajectory is sort of headed now. Um, Simple Health started as Simple Contacts. I was still a practicing eye doctor full-time for the first pretty much four, three, four years of the company. Uh, How it happened was I was out in New York. I was meeting up with a friend of mine. His name is Sonny. And 
just telling him like, yeah, you know, I, this healthcare system so inefficient, blah, blah, blah. You know, one night over drinks, I was just <laughs> complaining about how I hate everything about the current system. That's how all great things start, by the way. <laughs> how I hate the current system. And, you know, and he said, you really should meet uh, one of my buddies. So uh, he's like, he is already um, an, a healthcare entrepreneur. He's already started one company. Um, he's now looking to do something in the eye care space. So I said, great. Now we're um, almost 70 people. We um, actually have a new CEO now. Her name is Carrie. She started about a year ago. Um, and it's it's been great. So we, we've grown, we've, um, you know, raised significant amount of funding. Um, we're doing really well. And so we were doing eye care. And what happened, uh, we sort of wanted to offer more, right? We're like, what else can we offer? this population of people that's already using our service. And at this point, we're all really passionate about women's health. Um, on the side, I was sort of going through egg freezing and sort of my own sort of female difficulties. And um, it just made sense for us to get into reproductive care. So there was a point in time where we were actually running simple contacts and simple health side by side. And uh, eventually, about a year ago, we decided to just do uh, women's health and sort of double down in the women's health space, reproductive um, healthcare space. And so simple contacts, um, we actually shut it down about a year ago. And um, it's funny because I still get messages um, about about that from a lot of people. But but now we are... I was going to say, I'm like, I, I kind of need that too right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to see you via telemedicine through my own office. But yeah, we don't... Simple contacts does not exist anymore. But I, I think it's a very welcome change, right? I think there's a limit to how much you can do in eye care. And there's also a lot of need in the women's health space. And there's seriously no limit really right now of what you can offer because there's been such a dearth in, in that space for so long. So, so that's sort of how the transition happened. I am still very involved. Obviously, I used to play the role of, you know, I'm still the founding physician. I always will be. But um, I used to play the role of medical director slash chief medical officer when we were an eye care company. Now we are, you know, women's health uh, company. So we are actually in the process of, um, you know, sort of finding that person to replace. It might even be soon that we have that person. Uh, but I have now moved into vice president of medical affairs. So that's my role in the company now. And I, I couldn't be happier. I'm really thrilled at the way um, the direction of the company we've had. 10x growth um, since COVID. So it's been pretty amazing. That was my next question. How, how, was the how has the response been? And especially during the pandemic? Yeah, we were really well positioned uh, to offer this service. Um, and when COVID hit, it just, I mean, it shot through the roof. It was amazing. Um, well, not COVID. COVID's not amazing. Uh, but I will say, I have spent many, many years of my career, getting blue in the face, screaming about telemedicine, not screaming, but you know, just sort of being passionate about it. And I'm just relieved that people are like, Oh, yeah, this is a good thing. Right? I think before I had to not just convince people that simple health was awesome, and they should get their birth control at simplehealth.com, and they should get all their women's health needs at simplehealth.com. But I had to also convince them that telemedicine was a safe way to do it. Right? Now, I don't have to do that anymore. Now people are like, Oh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I use telemedicine? Well, people prefer prefer it now. Like we don't have we don't want to leave our homes and go to the, the doctor's office if we don't have to. Exactly, exactly. So that change was very welcome for me because I I can tell you there were weekends and years that I would 
literally every other week, I would be traveling to a state capital to lobby, to like speak to the legislature, to talk to lobbyists. There, I mean, excuse me, talk to senators or representatives and say, listen, you know, you have to let allow telemedicine. You can't restrict this. This is important. This is important for the American healthcare system that we allow telemedicine. And like, while I loved seeing different capitals, um, which are very unique, I can say they're not as cool as Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, exactly. They're not as cool as Austin, Texas, but uh, that all pretty much ended <laughs> because I don't have to lobby for telemedicine anymore. Out of curiosity, I mean, I, I don't know anything about the space. What were they restricting? What was the restrictions on telemedicine? There's a lot, uh, and it's really it really varies um, depending on the product that you're offering, right? So it can get really in-depth because you have to think about there's so many um, different stakeholders in every industry. And of course, in reproductive care, I mean, there's so many. Mike, that must, that must be loaded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even think we can begin to talk about it on this episode, but there are Gosh, there's so many, um, and they go beyond telemedicine, right? There's a lot of access issues when it comes to reproductive care. There's a lot of barriers when it comes to reproductive care. They're not just financial or geographic, they're political, they're religious. So a lot of barriers there. Um, so, so yeah, I'm hoping that access to me doesn't just mean the access, like the geography that we're talking about, right? It's actually the woman who, or excuse me, I want to be inclusive. So anyone who uses birth control, the person who uh, needs birth control, but, you know, can't go to the doctor because their family or their partner doesn't want them to be on it, right? So being able to offer privacy, discretion, uh, comfort, um, and letting someone, safety, yeah, yeah. safety, um, being able to let them get their birth control um, in a way that is private to them uh, and, and safe and, and they feel good about it. Um, so that it's, it's not just about geographic access, right? Because you may live next to a doctor where you can go get your birth control, but if you can't actually tell anyone that you want that, that's a whole other issue, right? It's a whole other level. Yeah. It's, a, well, it's, a, it's one of the main issues that stops people from, from getting it. So yeah. Yeah, and it has implications down the line, right? We know that if you have children, you know, we know that having children directly affects a woman's career path. Um, and when that happens in your life, can really be significant to the trajectory of your life if it happens too er too early for you. Make or break it, basically, for sure. So, so that's simple health, and then fem health. You founded in 2019, right? Yeah. So Fem Health is really interesting. It's uh, it actually was born out of my whole egg freezing process. So I was I was 34 and a half um, and single in New York. I was previously married in my late 20s, early 30s. I got divorced at 31. Um, and so kind of re-entered the dating pool in my early 30s. A few years went by. I still really hadn't met anyone that I thought um, there, or that we both thought, um, you know, we were going to go down a long road together. And 
So I went back and forth, went back and forth. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to freeze my eggs. I want to do it before I turn 35. Um, 35 is commonly known as sort of, we call it advanced maternal age. And I had the pleasure of, you know, reading when I finally did get pregnant a, a year and a half ago, I had the pleasure of reading geriatric pregnancy all over my chart. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, well, I went through the same thing with my second child. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's fine. Just tattoo it on my forehead. Why, why don't you? I know. So I got, I went through the whole process and decided, well, let, let's be honest. I went back and forth a lot, right? Cause for me, it doesn't, I first approached the idea at 32 and I didn't have enough money saved up at the time. Uh, so I said, all right, I'm going to table this. Maybe I'll meet somebody, blah, blah, blah. Then at 34, I was like, okay, like advanced maternal age is 35. I need to get on this. I need to figure this out. I had also saved money up until that point. So I felt financially comfortable going through the decision. And then the process was just a nightmare. I was like, I don't understand anything. I don't like, and I am a doctor and I can tell you right now on my cell phone, I have like probably a thousand doctors on my cell phone and my contact list. And then at least 30 of them are probably in women's health or OBGYN or something. I, you know, and I'm like, I just don't understand how, if I am so confused, how anyone else can get through this healthcare system or the process or if you can say in summary, why is it so confusing? Well, there's a lot of parts. Um, so there's the medical part of it. There's the financial part of it. There's the scheduling part of it, right? So it's actually something that needs to be timed very precisely, right? So um, I'm myself and my husband are now thinking about baby number two. I am 38 going on 39. So I do have a fertility specialist. And um, I actually just had an appointment with her last week. And she's like, okay, so you call us on day one of your period, then you're going to come in and get your labs on day three of your period, then you're going to go get your histopingogram, HSG, your HSG on from day seven to uh, day five to seven of your period. And I'm just like, oh, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> I was like, I need to write all this down. And, and, and I've done this before. Like I've had an HSG before. I've had my AMH drawn before. So it's just, I think when you're just a normal, busy person, like most of us are, it's just a lot. And if you already, you know, if you, yeah, it's a lot. It's, and, yeah. um, and it's, and then on top of that, they're like, okay, now, um, you know, we need you to sign all these forms. And then now we're going to set you up with our financial counselor. So you can assess sort of what your financial burden is going to be. And this is actually the second fertility specialist that I've seen in the last few months, because I actually went to another fertility doctor in this, in my area loved her. I thought she was amazing. Great connection, great rapport with her. Was ready to go down the path. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Like I want to freeze embryos. I want to, you know, just start on our second baby and um get a call from her staff and they're like, "Oh, the surgery center is not covered by your insurance." So I'm like, "How is that possible?" So the doctor's covered, you know, and she's fantastic. It's not her fault. You know, she's in a system that's doesn't work. Um, and the surgery center where she operates is not covered. So it just doesn't make any sense, right? And listen, FemHealth is not going to solve every single problem, but if it can help navigate um, some of that hardship by at least giving quality information, helping people get through the process. So what we really focus on at FemHealth is it's called For You From Doctors, right? Because 
in our system, in most systems, getting to the doctor is so challenging, right? It's like, it's like they're a celebrity or something. <laughs> and you're like, seriously, why is it so hard to get to you? I don't understand. Yeah, why can't I just talk to my doctor, you know? And it's just, it's just so frustrating. And, and let me be clear, Health is not your doctor. But listen, if we can all be educated from a trusted source, maybe we won't have so many questions. Maybe, you know, egg freezing can become as simple as like, oh, yeah, I just like go, you know, give a urine sample. Like, I understand that. That makes sense to me. Well, it's like getting a roadmap just to lessen the anxiety of it all. Like, sure, you're going to have to go through all the steps. We're not saying that, but like just the stress and just trying to figure it all out. By the time you get there, you know, you're just like done. <laughs> yeah, it's really overwhelming. And, and obviously, you know, being South Asian doesn't help because my, I love my mother. If she listens to this, mom, I love you. Um, Hi, Auntie. But, <laughs> but, you know, she first was like, when she didn't really understand what I was doing, she's like, what do you mean? She's like, so why are you doing this? She's like, do you just want to party in New York for a few more years? I was like, no. I was like, I mean, I do, but I'd love to do it with a partner. <laughs> I'd love for both of us to party for a few more years. Um, I was like, no, I haven't met someone and I want to, you know, have a chance at having a child later if, if I don't meet that person for who knows how long, right? And she just didn't get it. I think it was just like too much for her. And I think there's also this element of like, okay, this is real. Like, I really haven't met anyone. Like, I'm really going to actually do this because I don't even know if I'm going to meet someone in the next couple of years. And I think that acceptance for me, just as a person, but just also as a South Asian person, that was a little hard. That was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I think for our parents, it's like, okay, she's giving up maybe, or it's like a, it's something that they would never think about, obviously, because they all started so much younger than us. I remember my mom just barking at me. I got married at 30. And at 32, just the, the freaking out of not getting pregnant. If I had to tell her about egg freezing, I couldn't, egg freezing, I couldn't imagine her reaction to that. So like, what does that mean? We don't understand. And I have a husband, but still, they were still freaking out. So I understand your mom's reaction to it and most South Asian parents. It was just interesting going through that. It was also not a time where people were really talking about egg freezing. I remember, I mean, I had a sizable Instagram following at the time. And I remember going back and forth, back and forth, like, do I post about this? Do I not post about this? And then I finally was like, okay, I'm going to post about it. I got so many messages. I think it's still to date, even though my following has grown even more since then, I think still to date, it's probably one of my most liked posts. Um, and I just got so many messages. Oh my God, thank you for posting about this. I've been thinking about it. And not just from South Asians, but from, you know, women of all backgrounds. And people of all backgrounds um, about it, and so I'm I'm glad that I sort of was like, okay, I'm just going to post about it because now I feel like it's way more I don't want to say commonplace talked about open because I'm not surprised that it's the most liked post you have because I do think South Asian or not, it's still not talked about. Um, and and on a side note, you know, I had a miscarriage uh, in between both my my two kids. Um, and I'm a very open person. Obviously, I have a podcast. Um, and I, I just started talking about it to some girlfriends. And I think three out of the six of them I told had had it and never mentioned it. You know, I, I never posted about it. I think I was it was an emotional time for me, obviously. And I went through a lot of issues. Um, but it's just shocking how quiet we are about this. Something like miscarriage or infertility that 
obviously isn't your fault. Like it just happens. And I'm glad people like you, I know, you know, Deep- Deepika is, she's posting about her egg freezing process. She's a, a CEO of Live Tinted. The fact that you did it back in the day, not back in the day, but a couple of years ago when, you know, it wasn't as talked about. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your miscarriage as well. We, you know, with definitely something that needs to be, I think, more open. A lot of people say things like, oh, well, don't tell anyone until 12 weeks. I'm like, why? No, like everyone should. Not, I mean, it's up to you, right? It's up to the person who's pregnant, how they want to tell people or not tell people. But I think that if you tell someone and then all of a sudden you're not pregnant, at least you have someone there to know versus just suffering alone because you're not supposed to tell anybody until 12 weeks, right? Or because- like then, then you, it starts feeling like it's your fault and it's your problem and what did I do wrong and did I eat? I mean, just ridiculous things that aren't true, but you just get in your well, own head. Well, one in four women have a miscarriage at some point in their life. So that's extremely common. And I also want to caveat um, to anyone who's listening that I'm lucky that I did not really have to go through the infertility journey. Um, so I did have an HSG, which helped me and my husband get pregnant, um, but we didn't have to actually use the egg yet. Um, so my son that I have is actually a natural pregnancy after a little help from the fertility doctor. Uh, but the eggs are still on ice. Chilling. That was a bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I saw that because you met your husband. I, I, I was watching some of your YouTube videos and you met your husband three months after you froze your eggs and then got pregnant right away. How serendipitous is that? Yes, yeah, so I met my husband pretty soon thereafter, but I actually, um, it took us a, a, over a year to get pregnant. That's why we started seeing the fertility doctor. So it did take a little bit of time to get pregnant. Um you know, technically after 35, if you're trying for more than six months, it's considered infertility. But, um, you know, I think I think it's the stat is 80 to 85% of couples get pregnant within a year of trying. We were a month or two over that. Uh, we had an HSG done with our fertility doctor. We, meaning I, had it done. And um, that, it seemed to help. And we got pregnant five weeks after that procedure. Um, so that was really, that was really lucky, I guess. And um the other the other thing that I like to say, and I have to say it because it's South Asian, and I, I like to say Tunde Ande. <laughs> Just I, it love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's going to be a hashtag for your episode. Tunde Ande, yeah. I told my mom, I'm like, mom you get it? And she's like, that's not funny. I was like, okay, you're just, <laughs> yeah. She's like, don't joke about that. <laughs> it's the whole thing where you stop trying and it happens, right? Like I'm sure after you were done with the egg freezing process, you were just, okay, cool. Like I, I'm, I'm at peace with things. It is what it is. And then boom. Yeah. Huge weight was lifted off my shoulders, right? Like I just felt like I felt good again about, I just felt like, oh, I'm like, I just remember dating in my 20s and how fun it was. And when I got into my 30s, it was like painful. It was like a job. And um, and I felt young again, for lack of a better word. You know, not that you should have to be young to date. But I just felt like, oh, yeah, I can just date to date and actually, you know, not plan out why you're dating with whom. And yeah, like, it's just more like going to enjoy it. And that's probably what the law of attraction, right? That's probably what happened. Yeah. Exactly. And it was very, yeah, I froze my eggs in March and I met Chirag in 
June. So it was very quick. And then Gerard knew he was like, her eggs are frozen. We're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was actually pretty impressed. He's like, oh, cool. He's like, I didn't know people did that. I was like, no, not people, just me, probably right now. But I'm sure more people will. It's only it's what trailblazers do, Chirag. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, so that's that's how FemHealth started because I just felt really confused. I felt overwhelmed, um, and I thought, if, if this is happening to me, then I'm sure it's happening to other people. And then on top of that, it was the same time as the measles outbreak in New York City, and that as a physician just royally made me mad because I'm like, man, we go through these like years of scientific discovery to make sure that people have a vaccine. And then people are like, nah, I'm not going to use it. I'm like, are you joking? Oh my God. That's like a whole other podcast. I feel like. Yes. I was just really upset. And I think the problem is, is that, you know, there's a lot of bloggers that blog in health that have valuable things to say and good information. But then there's a lot of people out there that don't have good things to say that are just trying to push their own products. Um, and I'm all about, you know, holistic therapies and things like that. But there's a lot of sites that push that over actual scientific intervention. Um, and I think there's a lot of trouble there, right? Because I'm, I'm so glad that we can all say what we want to say in this country. Anybody can put up a website or a blog post about any, anything. But the misinformation is rampant. And when it starts to make people do things that are going to hurt not just themselves, but hurt other people, now you're talking about a serious public health risk, right? And that combined with the confusion that exists, I was like, we need a platform where people can come, where they know that the information is coming from a doctor, that it's in evidence-based medicine, it's digestible, it's understandable, and they can rely on it um, and not just sort of wonder. And and it covers a lot of topics that aren't really covered um, well right now. So that's really the impetus behind it. We have a very large community of physicians. Um, we have a very large community of subscribers and people that value what our clinicians and physicians have to say. So we're it's growing every day, super excited about uh, of the future of, of FEM Health and, and how we can continue to provide education that empowers people and helps them take better care of themselves and their loved ones. Right. And the best part of it is that, like you said, it covers all areas of woman health, women's health, which is there's so many facets to it. It's nice to have it all in one place, like a holistic map. We also do a section on, you know, pediatric care as well, because the female is the one who's making a lot of those decisions for um, her children um, and, you know, the family. So that's also a part of what we do. I wish I had something like that during my miscarriage because my DNC, yeah, I had a very, very horrific story. I couldn't even get emotional till like it was over and then just lost it. Because for three weeks, it was like, okay, just get like figure this out and it was just it was horrific anyways ah, I need a drink. <laughs> it's not too early <laughs> i went on vacation with my husband and i was like okay just shanti it is what it is i'm healthy our baby girl is healthy and then a month later we got pregnant and i was, I was for sure like i'm not gonna try for a while even though at that point i was 35 36 i just had gone through so much and i let go of the idea for a while and then serendipity. I'm not sure if that's yeah. the word. I'm going to keep using it. But, um, okay. I want to ask you a few more questions before we wrap up. Cause I know it's almost two fifteen. 
One, you know, a lot of women that are listening to this are, have thought about freezing their eggs or, you know, are scared to do it, have all that stuff. So I know it's such a huge topic, but what advice could you give to these women that are, that are thinking about it? Yeah. So great question. Thank you for asking it. I have so much advice. So they can also DM me. Uh, you can also DM me on Instagram. But I would say the, the biggest pieces of advice are one, the anxiety that you're going to experience surrounding it, I need you to separate that, right? Like, is it anxiety about the actual process? Or is it anxiety about what this means for your life? And at some point, if it's what it means for your life, you need to come to terms with that. And you need to feel good about it. You need to look at it as I'm empowering myself, not, oh, my God, I'm never going to be anyone. I'm never going to have kids. So I have to do this. So get that out of your mind. Um, this is a tool that we have now. Science is amazing. Think of us as being privileged because I have family friends from, you know, that are maybe 15 years older than me. And they didn't have options, right? Like they just didn't have options to preserve their fertility that were good options at that time. Like this is actually a very good option. I mean, egg freezing is not going to guarantee you a live birth. Nothing does. You know, you can start trying to have kids at 25 and that may not guarantee you a live birth, right? But if it, if there's something that you can do to take control of a situation that is ultimately out of your control, this is one of them. Um, so I would say just look at it that way. Stop getting in your head about it. Um, number two, which piggybacks off of number one, it's actually not that bad. So I had all this anxiety and then I I was in it and you have to kind of be very focused because you have to take all these meds. You have to be pretty organized. You know, there's restrictions on what you can and cannot do during that month. So it actually goes by pretty quickly because you're like very I was like laser focused on, okay, I need to like draw this much medication and all this stuff. And so it just really kind of flew by. Um, set aside time in your month. Don't like plan to do much during that time. Um, and then financially get your ducks in a row, right? So save up if you need to save up. Uh, it's important to know that there's actually mandated fertility coverage now in several states. So Figure out if you're in one of those states um, and most fertility places will have a financial counselor that you can talk to. And so that's important. And then the last piece of advice is look up the data. Okay, there's a lot of places um, that don't have as much data as other places. And if you were my sister, my cousin, my friend, I would tell you, Go to the places that have great labs, lots of experience. This is not where you price shop, okay? This is not, you know, the time to pinch pennies um, unless you truly, for some reason, can't afford it. Because at the end of the day, your potential future child is going to be made in a lab and it's going to be that sort of lab and that data. And that's important, right? Experience matters. And, um, it's not just about like how many eggs you get, right? I mean, that's a part of it, but there's a lot that goes into it. So um, do your homework, do your research. There's a ton of qualified, um, we call them REI doctors, reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialists out there that work with really, really reputable places. And I'm not going to say any one place over the other, but just do your research. Um, and if you can afford to go to the best, 
there's a reason that they have so much good data, right? It's because right. they have had a lot of successes with a live birth. And the process of egg freezing, while it wasn't horrible, there are side effects. So, you know, I did actually end up with a lot of hormonal acne afterwards. Uh, so again, there's great dermatologists that you can see afterwards to get that treated. Um, but it's, this is not something where you're like, oh, they're offering to do like, you know, five cycles and, and this other place is offering to do three cycles. Like, this is not something that you want to do multiple times. It's, it takes a toll on your body, right? So um, go with a better, I don't, I don't want to say better, but go with some place that has really good data to support it and um, make your choice that way. Look into your fertility coverage, see what states are mandated coverage, see what you can offer. Your workplace may also offer some kind of fertility coverage. Um, one of my friends, her company actually um, sponsored her um, round to get her eggs and embryos frozen. So, well, also, I think I was just thinking lastly, especially, well, not, maybe not even especially, but you know, for, for South Asians, is to let go of the stigma. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, not being a woman, or not being woman enough, or you know, this is supposed to be my job and I can't do mm -hmm. it properly, or whatever bullshit we have in our heads, let that go. Yeah, and if you decide to date someone who then has like an opinion about it that is anything other than positive or quiet, drop him. <laughs> like you know, I feel like there's some guys out there that'll be like, oh, that's weird. Why would you tell me that? It's like, well, why is this such a big deal that we like have to worry about what we talk about? can't be open like I know motherfucker <laughs> all right so I'm, I'm going to um obviously put uh the information about fem health and simple health um on the podcast and in my notes so people can go there for resources um and I at the I like to end each podcast episode with a little fun round just like a quick round okay just so like get to, get to know your like goofy uh -oh. side so just the first thing you can think of is there another physician that you would love to work with, like a celebrity phys physician that you would love to work with? Uh, the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, I think he's, yeah, I, I think Vivek Murthy has done a lot, um, not just for medicine, but also for South Asians. So I think he would be a really cool person to work with. What is your latest Netflix binge? Okay. I just watched um, Lupin, but that wasn't really a binge because it was kind of too short. Um, but I like white collar. Is that bad? I mean, yeah, it's like so. It's so fun, and the guy's really good looking. So two for like, oh. two for one, man. Hey, I've been talk when I ask people this. Everyone's like, you know, Bollywood wives and Indian matchmaking. So yours is like a level up. So that's good. What is the best advice you received as a patient? Oh God. The best advice I've received as a patient is to relax. <laughs> if you weren't doing this, meaning your current, I know you're doing like 15 different jobs, but you know, basically medicine, what else would you be doing? Honestly, nothing. I really love what I do. I love what I do. I know that sounds so lame, but I would probably scale back more on clinical and I'd probably go deeper into the health tech digital space, which is my plan. Yeah, I really, I work seven days a week. I love it. Um, you know, the only thing I wish I had was eight more hours in every day to spend with my son. Um, that's the only thing that really, sometimes I feel a little bit like, wow, I just wish I had a little bit more time. So I really, that achieving that work-life balance is really 
really tough. And I, so I do, I do think that I have to be better about that. Um, you know, but I, I don't, I think if I was a full-time caretaker to my son, I'd probably go crazy. Um, I just think that the grass is always greener on either side, right? Yeah. Like, and I don't think we'll ever feel balanced. I don't know that's even a possible thing, but you know, what's going to make you a better mom. Yeah. That's, that's been hard for me because I've never had to actually feel that way. Um, until 10 months ago when I had my son, I was like, wow, I don't care about anything anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, I do, but everything pales in comparison to just, you know, even changing his diaper, which is something I never thought I would be like, oh, I'll change it. No problem. You know, cause it actually gives me some time with him, um, you know, to just, you know, interact with him. Uh, so it really, um, it resets you. Yeah. You know, like all the little bullshit that you worried about before is just, yeah, it's gone. Well, that people ask me, you know, how is it being a mom? And yes, of course I love my son, but what it has done for my own mental clarity is phenomenal because now like the stuff that I have used to worry about, even like opinions or just things that didn't go right. Like one, you don't have time Two. It, the perspective just is so deep set that you're just like, well, I mean, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's really not a big deal. And I'm definitely someone who needed that. Like I needed, like you, I'm sure you can tell that I am a hyper-driven, anxious sort of energy person. Um, I love so, it. You know, I, I needed this little guy to come in here and be like, hey, mom, like, <laughs> this is like. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm telling you, I've become more focused Less time, yeah, but more focused as a yeah. Partner. So, um, and my last question that I always ask all my guests because we're in the pandemic. After the pandemic, are you down to meet me for a drink and have a dance off? A hundred percent. All right, a hundred percent. I'm vaccinated. You can you can come right now. <laughs> come over there and get vaccinated with you, dude. Shit. Oh, I will destroy you, but we'll we will do it. Oh, oh, and then I have right. many, right. many. Um, Man, talk about Trailblazer. That is amazing stuff. Uh, thank you, Dr. Saya. That was awesome. And thank you for letting me open up about my own story, which, you know, I haven't done that often. So it was pretty cool to do. Um, all you guys, please follow her at dr.saya on Instagram. And of course, check out femhealthproject.com and simplehealth.com. If you have any questions, reach out to her. She's always happy to chat with you guys. And as always, you can follow me on my new Instagram handle. Wait, I should know what it is, right? Tuckered Out Podcast. So that's T-U-C-K-E-R-E-D Out Podcast. I'm getting fancy, you guys. Thank you for listening. I will see you very soon. This is Tuckered Out. <laughs>